you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them please to Zephaniah? Zephaniah chapter 1. On Sunday morning we're in a sermon series entitled, The Prophets Speak. The prophets of old sent by God to the nation of Israel. The prophets of old sent by God to the people that claimed His name. What did they have to say thousands of years ago when they spoke? What would the prophets of God say if they came today and spoke to the United States of America? What would they say to you and I who claim His name? you might find the messages would be very similar. Zephaniah, chapter 1, the prophet speaking to the nation of Israel, to the people of who claimed his name. And he delivers some bad news in verse 14 through 18 of chapter 1. The prophet says to the nation and to the people, The great day of the Lord is near. It is very near. It is coming quickly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. This day that is coming, the day of the Lord, is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wastedness and desolation a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. It shall be a day of the trumpet, and the trumpet shall sound against the fenced cities, against the high towers, against all those things that you think can protect you and secure you. And I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men. Why is all this going to happen Because they have sinned against the Lord. And their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as dung. Neither silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. The whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he shall make even a quick riddance of all them that dwell in the land. Ladies and gentlemen, that's some bad news. But I also want you to look at chapter 3, verse 17, for some good news. The same prophet who tells of the judgment of God that's coming against the nation of Israel and against the people of God also gives them a word of good news. The Lord thy God in the midst of you is mighty. And he will save with that might. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in his love. And he will joy over you with singing. Good news. Bad news. Bad news. Good news. When I was thinking about that, I couldn't help but think about some Good news, bad news stories. Heard the story about a doctor. 
who was speaking to one of his patients. And he said, I have some good news and I have some bad news to share with you. The good news, sir, is I have found a buyer for those brand new Michael Jordan tennis shoes you've got. They cost you $250, but I've got a buyer for them. And the man looks at the doctor rather puzzled. And then the man, doctor says, well, let me also share with you the bad news on this now. I'll be amputating both of your legs tomorrow. A deacon was speaking to his sick pastor. And the deacon said, I have some good news, pastor, and some bad news. The good news is we had a business meeting tonight. And a proposal was made to send you a get well card. And one will be coming to you in the mail. The bad news is the vote was 51 to 50. <laughs> a pilot was speaking to the passengers on a flight. And he said to the passengers, he said, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. Is he speaking over the intercom? He said, the good news is we are making excellent time. In fact, we're going to be at our destination an hour early. The bad news is I don't know where we're going. A lawyer was talking to his client. And he said, sir, I, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. The good news is your wife has found a picture that's worth a half a million dollars. The bad news is it's of you with your secretary. Good news, bad news, bad news, good news. In the verses we just read, Zephaniah has both for the nation of Israel and the people of God. His bad news is the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. It is coming swiftly. It is going to come suddenly. And it will come with great devastation. The day of the Lord is coming. Israel is going to face the judgment of God, the day of the Lord, as it's called. Now, you might ask, why, Pastor? Why would God send the prophet to give such a message to the nation and to his own people, the Israelites? Because the nation and the people will not listen to God. God's patience has been exhausted. His long-suffering has reached its limits. For years after years after years, God has sent prophet after prophet after prophet to tell His nation, to tell His people, to stop your idolatry, your worship of other gods. To stop your sexual immorality and every perversion of it. To stop your injustice. You've corrupted the justice system. There's no fairness for anybody. Stop it. 
He told them to stop their iniquity. They're lying, they're cheating, they're stealing as a way of life. Prophet after prophet after prophet spoke to the nation and to the people, and their message always fell on deaf ears. For that reason, God has had enough. He pronounces judgment is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. A day of destruction. A day of deportation. A day of death lies ahead for the nation of Israel and the people of God. And the instrument that God is going to use is the the empire of Babylon. Now I think it would be good if we stopped here for just a moment to teach a very important point. Nobody sins with impunity against God. When people refuse to stop their sin against God, whatever that sin may be, when you refuse to stop that sin, stubbornly, willfully, deliberately, arrogantly say, Lord, I'm doing it, I don't care what you think. then God will stop it with judgment. If you won't stop it with repentance, God will stop it with judgment. The nation would not listen. The people would not listen. And so God is now going to bring judgment to deal with the sin. It's not unusual for God to use natural things to bring that judgment. Sometimes that natural thing could be a sickness or a disease or a plague that he will use to get the attention of the nation or the people. Sometimes it can be a natural disaster, such as a hurricane or a tornado or or an earthquake or a tsunami, perhaps, to get the attention of the nation or the people. Sometimes it can be a loss of wealth, an economic downturn, if you will, a recession, a depression that will take the people's gold and silver, the dollars that they might worship, away from them. Or sometimes it can be God will raise up a pagan nation. God will raise up a pagan nation or a pagan empire and they will become the executioners of His wrath. In this case, God has chosen to raise up a pagan empire called Babylon. And they're going to now move against his nation, his people that he has protected. But now he's going to take his protection away. Now we know from history that Babylon came against the nation of Israel and the people. And they could not stop them. All the king's horses and all the king's men of Israel could not stop Babylon. They marched through Israel. They murdered the men. They enslaved the women. They deported the children. They seized the wealth of the nation and the people. And they destroyed every aspect of worship. Even to the tearing down of the temples and the churches of that day. And God raises up Zephaniah 
to announce this is what's going to happen if you will not repent, and they would not repent. But God also uses Zephaniah to bring another message. A message of hope in the midst of the message of sadness. And that message of hope is what Zephaniah 3.17 is all about that we read earlier. It's about God's grace in the midst of His judgment. God's mercy in the midst of His judgment. God's love in the midst of His judgment. When I was growing up, I occasionally got a spanking. I didn't do anything. Mom just felt every now and then she needed to exercise her arm. So she would spank your pastor, my brother, though we never did anything. And she'd always, after she spanked us, say something that I, I thought in that day was just parrot speak. You know, when you go to take your parenting classes, they teach you to say this. She'd say, I love you. She'd spank us. And then she'd say, I love you. She'd kick us in the behind. And then she'd hug her neck. She'd strangle us, and then she hugged us. And you know, really, this is what God is doing here. He's telling His nation and His people, you have misbehaved long enough. I have warned you, I have warned you over and over and over and over and over again. You've exhausted my limits of patience. You've exhausted my limits of long-suffering. I have no choice because you give me no choice but to judge you. And I will judge you. And the devastation of that judgment you'll never forget. And then he comes back and says, but I want you to know in this judgment I love you. I will not forget you. I will not throw you out. I will be your God and you will be my people. I want us to look and see the good news, if we can, of what God is going to say to a nation and to a people that are ripe for judgment and will be judged. And remember, this is not just about Israel, is it? I wonder if this is also a message to the United States. It's not just a message to God's people of a thousand years ago. It's also a message, I believe, to God's people today. If you exhaust the patience of God, there will be judgment. But in the midst of it all, God has some nice things to say to you and I. Notice, if you would, in Zephaniah 3, verse 17. I want you to see five things that God says to the people, though He's about to judge them and the nation. First of all, God says to them in verse 17, I will be with you. I will be with you. Notice in verse 17, The Lord thy God will be in the midst of you. 
The Lord thy God will be with you. He will be in the midst of you. Can you imagine that? God says judgment's going to come, but I'll be with you. Chastisement and discipline is going to come. I'm going to whip you, but I'll be with you. I believe this is reinforced in the New Testament when the Lord Jesus said to you and I, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always, always, even to the end of the world. The Lord says to his nation and to his people, judgment's coming, Babylon's coming. They're going to murder your men. They're going to enslave your women. They're going to take your children away and propagandize them and make them Babylonians. They're going to tear down your churches. They're going to take everything you got. But in the midst of all that, I'm with you. I will be with you. Even in the judgment, I will not give up on you. I will offer you grace. I'll offer you mercy. I'll give you a new beginning. I'll give you a fresh start. I will not forsake you. Have you ever felt like sometimes God had left you? Sure you have. All of us have. I love Corey Tim Boom. I believe she's one of the great heroes of the faith of the last century. And in one of her stories, and she has rich stories to tell, she talks about her time at Ravensbrook. That was a concentration camp primarily for women in World War II. The Nazis rounded up women and put them in Ravensbrook, a concentration camp, simply because they didn't like the way they looked. They didn't like their religion. They didn't like their race. So they threw them in Ravensbrook. They sent them there to die. When you went to a Nazi concentration camp, you went there to die. They would work you like a dog for 18 hours a day. They wouldn't give you much food. They wouldn't give you much water. They wouldn't have many hygienic facilities for you. If you got sick, they let you stay sick. You went there to die. And Corey Tim Boom prayed and prayed and prayed. Where was God in all of this? Where was God? Where was God in all the screaming and hollering? Where was God in all the bleeding and sickness? Where was God in all the abuse? Where was God? He said he would be with her. Where was he at? Well, every morning they would line up the women prisoners. Four o'clock in the morning, they herded them like animals out of their barracks. And they made them stand outside. It mattered not what the temperature was. It mattered not about the elements. They lined them up at four o'clock in the morning. And made them stand in attention for upwards to three to four hours as they waited on the Nazi commandant to come in and do his inspection. Every morning, three to four hours of standing in a line, no talking, no moving, no touching, just stand there. 
And if you didn't, you got beat with a whip and the dogs would chew on you. Corey Ten Booms wondered where was God in the midst of all of this. Well, it was the dead of winter. The temperatures way below freezing, snow everywhere. There was a tree off to her right. It was a tree that had no leaves, just a tree. And one morning as she's lined up with all these prisoners, ladies and gentlemen, She notices something, but she doesn't notice if anybody else notices it. In that tree that has no leaves, in that tree that is barren, in the dead of winter, there is a bluebird on the limb. A bluebird. A bluebird in the dead of winter? A bluebird below freezing? A bluebird. And the bluebird looks at her. And she looks at the bluebird. The next day, she comes back. And there's the little bluebird again. Again, nobody else seems to see that little bird. But she sees it. And he sees her. On the third day, standing in line, freezing, snow falling, The sky is gray. The sky is dark. The little bluebird's there again. And all of a sudden, into her mind comes this. I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world. She believes to this day But that bluebird was God speaking to her. A reminder that no matter how bleak life gets, and we think that God has forgotten and forsaken us, that He's there. As we go through life, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what this nation is going to face. I don't know what your family is going to face. I don't know what this church is going to face. I don't know what we're going to face as individuals. But I know this, God will be with us. And if we look, we'll see the bluebirds. Reminders that the eye that's on the bluebird is also on us. Zephaniah says to the people of that day, he says, God will be with us. And then he says something else interesting. He says, God will be for us. God will be for us. Notice verse 17. The Lord thy God is in the midst of us. He is with us. And he is mighty. And he will save. The original translation would probably read like this. He is mighty unto salvation. He is mighty unto salvation. That word salvation could be speaking of spiritual salvation, but it also could be speaking of physical salvation. The God who can save our soul is a big enough God to save our bodies. He's a mighty God unto salvation. And though judgment will come, He says, I'll be with you, my presence is with you, and my power to save will be with you. 
I think in the New Testament, if God be with us, who can be against us? Even in judgment, the power of God is at work, preserving us and protecting us from what is coming. Another story, if you will. The place was Siberia. Siberia was the Russian equivalent of a German concentration camp. Siberia was a prison camp for all of those who were descendants against communism. If you spoke out against communism, they sent you to Siberia. It also was a labor camp, 18 hours a day of labor. When you went to Siberia, like the concentration camps, you went to die. Nobody walked out of Siberia except in a wooden box. And that was carried by people, not you. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was sent to Siberia because he dared to criticize communism. The conditions were brutal. Nasty with a capital N. Imagine the nastiest place you've ever seen. Multiply it by a hundred, you got Siberia. He knew that he was going to die there. There was no hope for him. And so he decided, why do I need to keep suffering? I'm just going to go ahead and end my life early, and that way I don't have to suffer. I'm going to die anyway. I have no power to get myself out of here. And so he decided that on one morning, during break time, he was going to just stand up and start running from the guards. He said, I know when I start running, they're going to shoot a couple of shots over my head to make me stop, but I'm not going to stop. They're going to unleash the dogs to come after me, but I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep running. I'm going to force them to shoot me and kill me. I'm going to end all of this. So in the morning, he decides to make his break. He's on the knee in the snow. And he's getting ready to stand and start the run. When all of a sudden a shadow appears over him. He's on a knee in the snow and a shadow appears over him. The shadow is of a man. Alexander Sosinesen says, I looked up and I saw the man. But I had never seen him before. I knew everybody at Siberia. We all lived in the same big barracks. But I'd never seen this man before. And the man held a stick in his hand. And he looked at me and I looked at him and he said nothing. But in the sand in front of my face, as I was looking down, he took that stick and he made a cross. And as I watched him make the cross, I then looked up at him again. He said, then a voice spoke to me in my mind. It wasn't audible, but it was, I could hear it very clearly. And it was God speaking to me, saying, I am about to save you. Alexander Solzhenitsyn didn't understand all of it, but he didn't make a run. 
He stayed down, continued to work. And three weeks later, Alexander Sosinesin received word that he was being released from Siberia. An American president, unbeknownst to him, had negotiated his freedom. Ronald Reagan negotiated the freedom for Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and God brought him out of it. Wow. Pastor, I don't know if I'm going to make it. You're going to make it. God says you're going to make it because he has the power to save. Look for the bluebird. He's with you. Look for his power. It's in the cross. Thirdly, notice it says, not only will his presence be with us, not only will his power be with us, but he finds pleasure in us. Look at verse 17. The Lord thy God in the midst of you is mighty and he will save and he will rejoice over you with joy. He will rejoice. This is speaking of the Lord. He will rejoice over you with joy, says the prophet. You know what that's saying? God is proud of us. Are you proud of your children? Shake your head. You ought to be. They came from you. Well, when God looks at us, his children, to them that receive him, he gives them the right to be called the sons and daughters of God, even to them that believe on his name. We're God's children if we have placed our faith in Christ and repented of our sin. He's our father, we're his children. And the Bible says when he looks at us, He swells up with pride. We are His created, redeemed people. We're family. He's proud of us, that's what the prophets say. He will rejoice over us. He finds pleasure in us. We're the apples of His eye. If there's an oak tree in heaven, our name is etched in it. If God drives a car, on the back of His car is a bumper sticker. I'm proud of Jim Palmer. I'm proud of you. See, God rejoices in us. He's, we're special to Him. You say, I'm not special to anybody. You are special to God. He knows your name. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're doing. He knows your need. He knows your troubles. He knows all about you. You're not just some social security number. You're a son and daughter of God. When your children come to your house, do you say, come here, it? 249, 16, 38, 42, come here, please. Hey, knucklehead, come here. No, you don't say that. You call your children by name, and so does God. When he comes to get us in death, he will call us by name. When he comes to get us in rapture, we're going to hear our name called. We're special to him. And then the prophet says something else. He says this God who is present with us, 
even in judgment, He's with us. This God who has the power to save, even in the severity of the judgment, He can save. This God who finds pleasure in us because we're His sons and daughters, created, redeemed by Him. The same God. The same God finds peace in us. And He gives us that peace. Look again at verse 17. He says, He will rest in His love. That word rest comes from a word that means peace. Peace. Paul talked about the peace that passes all understanding. The peace that God gives us that keeps our mind and heart in Christ Jesus no matter what we're facing. A peace that comes from knowing a God who loves us. You know, there's security. There's peace when you know somebody loves you. That's why when you love people, you need to tell them you love them. Because it gives security, it gives stability, it gives peace. Do you think Daniel was anxious and worried and stressed out when he got thrown in the lion's den? Do you think he was? I don't think he was at all. I think the God who loved him gave him peace. And so they threw him in the lion's den. He hit the ground. And what did he do when he hit the ground? He bellied up to the lion, laid his head on the lion's shoulders, and went to sleep. Not a care in the world. His God could save him from lions. He knew that. His God would save him from lions. He had that impression. So he had peace as he was in the lion's den. God doesn't always take you out of the lion's den. Sometimes he just gives you peace in it. And controls the circumstances around it. Boy, Zephaniah's got some good news, doesn't he? Israel, you're going to be destroyed. People of God, you're going to face judgment. The Babylonians are coming. The day of the Lord is coming. But in it all, I'll be with you. I have the power to save you. I find pleasure in you, and I will give you peace. And then he closes with the last thing. He says, I'm going to celebrate you. I'm going to praise you. Notice he says, he will joy over you with singing. This word joy, interesting word, it means celebration. A party, okay, if you will. Can you picture in your mind a party, a celebration taking place? And God is at that party. Let's humanize God for just a moment. He is at the party. He's at the celebration. And what is God doing in regard to His people? He's singing. He's singing. Did you know God can sing? Your pastor can't sing, but God can sing. You say, Pastor, is He bass? Is He tenor? Is He soprano? What is he, Pastor? I don't know. Maybe he's all of it. But he sings. What is he singing about? You and me. He has a song in his heart toward us. And not only does he have a song in his heart, he has some dance in his feet. Because that word singing implies not just singing, but it involves bodily movements to go with it. There's a celebration in heaven. When God thinks of you and me, He begins to sing, He begins to dance, or whatever that means in His emotions. Wow. 
Wow. He gets excited over you. I can't understand that. I can understand him getting excited over me. <laughs> Listen, he gets excited over us. He celebrates us, our creation, our redemption. He finds pride in us. Wow. And all of this, Zephaniah said to the nation and to the people, bad news, judgment's coming. You will not repent. Judgment is coming. The judgment is coming by way of the Babylonians. The judgment is going to produce the murder of your men, the enslavement of your women, the deportation of your children, the tearing down of your temples, the stopping of all worship, and all your gold and silver is going into the Babylonian coffers. You can write it down in ink. It's going to happen. And it did. But he says, let me tell you a good word. The God of heaven loves you. He's working in the nation and in the people. He's not trying to, draw, to drive you away. He's trying to bring you back. And when it's all said and done, some of you are going to come back. And he's going to be with you. His power is going to be there to guard you and protect you. He's going to find pleasure in you. He's going to give you His peace. And there is going to be a passion, a celebration, as He thinks about all that you are to Him. Wow. Wow. What does this mean as we close? First of all, it means we need to repent of our sins today. God said to the nation, repent or perish. He said to the people, repent or be disciplined. And they wouldn't listen. Do you know God will forgive America? God will forgive you and me. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all sin and cleanse us of all iniquity. Do you know that Israel could have fallen to their knees as, even as the Babylonians approached? and said, God, forgive us as a nation, forgive us as a people. We've sinned against you grievously, severely, deliberately. We've sinned. And you know God would have turned the Babylonians back. But they didn't do it. They did not repent of their sins, so they perished. We need to repent. As Americans and as people, we need to repent. Secondly, we need to receive the Savior. We need to receive the Savior that we can become the sons and daughters of God that He finds pleasure in, that He finds praise in. You don't become a son and daughter of God by joining the church. You don't become a son and daughter of God by being religious. You don't become a son and daughter of God by believing in God and doing good things. You become a son and daughter of God. You are birthed into the family of God when you put your faith in Christ and Christ alone and repent of your sin. And instantly you'll be born again. And you'll have one mother, but you'll have two fathers. One will be earthly and the other will be eternal. And then lastly, 
Should we not rejoice and celebrate in the one who rejoices and celebrates with us? When's the last time you celebrated Jesus' name? An atheist said this. Listen to what he said carefully. He said, I would believe in your God if you sang about him with a smile on your face. I would believe in your God if you who claim he is your Savior and Lord and you love him so much sang about him with a smile. When's the last time you celebrated Jesus? When's the last time you praised Him? When's the last time you thanked Him? When's the last time you showed any emotion at all toward Him? I'm not talking about craziness. I'm talking about sincere worship. It comes from a sincere heart, privately or otherwise. It says, Lord, I love you. Thank you for loving me. I celebrate who you are and what you've done for me, even as you celebrate who I am and what I mean to you. Heads are bowed and eyes are bowed.